Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, welcome back to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. This is going to be a continuation of my interview with Nick Hathaway and Aaron Maxwell. We got cut off in the middle of our interview, but we'd gone over an hour. So I decided to end the interview there and come back for a second interview. And we're continuing on trying to start where we left off. But before we get to that interview, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more, including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from biminis to dodgers, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags, to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. All right, I'm back with Nick Hathaway and Aaron Maxwell. We got cut off in our last interview. Skype quit. (laughs) So I decided to to end the podcast there and start a, a new podcast with you because you obviously have a few stories to tell and I don't want to cut you off if you've got more stories to tell. But the, where we left off is you had brought the boat into Al Karuna. You were stuck there for a long period of time. How many days were you there because of the weather? All right. And then you had left and you were you continued sailing down the coast and that's where we got cut off. So let's continue on there. Yeah, so we we, we decided that we... It was reasonable enough risk to take a um, to head out and to just try getting out of the marina and and getting around the point to head south to Portugal because had we stayed there with the new forecast coming through and the second big storm, uh, it would have been another eight days. So I was getting cabin fever after five days being on land, four days being on land, and we we took off. So we left at first light and it was really and we went out around the point. Waves are just hammering into both sides of the coast, um, but it was calm. It wasn't a lot of wind, almost none. And we got out into, you know, three, four-meter waves and then out around the point. They started rolling in at five and six meters, but with a nice long period, as we're saying. So, okay. So um, let me, let me back up let me back up just a little bit to, let, to orient our people, our listeners, geographically. So we're in Alcaruna, Spain, and now you're heading out into the Atlantic. You're on the northeast corner or northwest corner of spain as far north as you can get right up in the at the edge of the bay of biscay and now you're going out headed west out into the atlantic and turning left to go down along the coast of portugal so i didn't didn't mean to interrupt you but a lot of people don't know where al corona is so <laughs> that would no, be good um, I didn't know where Arcadunia was until I, <laughs> until this forecast came through and I had to find it. <laughs> so um, yeah, so so turning left and heading down, heading south, um, big waves, and we finally get around the point where we can turn south. And it's actually called the uh, I didn't understand this until I was there. It's called the Dead Coast um, because of all the shipwrecks and the people that have died along that coast, um, which was which was interesting to, to be heading down there. And we finally got to turn left and head south. And we, we had a drink to celebrate, which was cut um, kind of harrowingly short. There was a Mayday put out, um, a Mayday relay put out because someone about 40 miles south of us um, had just gone overboard. Uh, they didn't say in what situation, but the, the Latin long they gave us was um, very close to an island. And we knew the waves that were heading in and was just thinking, poor. One, the water is cold and the weather is not good. 
and um, we were still 40 miles from the area heading south. So that was that was a shame. They, they put that call out for the next three days. Um, so I obviously didn't find them. I couldn't find anything on the news, but that was a very um, very real thing to remind my crew why I told them to clip on all of the time. <laughs> so um, it was sad to just keep hearing it come oh, over it and over again on the radio. Hey, yeah. it's really tough. Yeah, so we um, we got past the dead coast and head south south down there. We had a really crappy night um, after that. I, was, I remember being down, the wind just was not playing ball. And as people probably know, I know there's a, a good solid argument, and there will be for the rest of time about this, but catamarans don't go to windward very well. And um, that proved very true this night. And we were, we were making maybe two and a half, three knots VMG under engine as well with one engine on and just a really bumpy, horrible night. Um, but eventually we, we sort of got out of that crap with a lot of motoring. So now where does a dead, back. where does a dead coast end? Is it around, um, uh, Porto or is it North of Porto? Where does a dead coast uh, considered ending? There is a, there is, it's, there's like a, uh, a point. It's like a, Farewell or something point. I'm going to bring up a map myself now. Yeah. Just check that because I can't remember the exact name of it. Um, big zoom out. Man, that's a long way we went. Yeah, that um, is a long coast long, uh, there. Um, it's Fistera or something. Fist. Fistier? Um, Fistera, yeah. So Fistera, basically that point land there, Faro de Fistera, is the end of the dead, the dead coast. So it's basically from Acarunia all the way down to that point. And, um, yeah, the man overboard was lost. Um, oh, is it that one? Or Yeah, I think it's Vestetta. Yeah, Vestetta. So there's that, that main peninsula sitting out pointing south. So that's where it ends. And the, the man overboard was further south of that, um, about 40 miles from us when we heard it. So okay. that's where she is. So we, we kept on going down there. Um, it was good to get into Portugal couple of days it was it was definitely three days down that way and we were heading for cash cash um in portugal and as we got further and further down the coast one uh night was particularly scary because we we got into this very thick advection fog and i'd i'd never been in fog this thick like we we get this in the cook Strait in new zealand um but usually there's stronger wind, so I think it thins out a bit more. But this was, this was just something you see in a movie, and it was um, it was maybe 40 meters visibility. Um, AIS wasn't bringing much up because there wasn't much around, so we we were kind of torn between going in closer to the coast and trying to get out of it, um, but then ending up in shallower water with a lot of fish nets around and a lot of a lot of things, or being um, into the fishing boat areas, or whether we stay further out. So it was, and it was so thick. It came in at about about 3 a.m., and um, we were up on watch. So we just ended up having to get everyone up, um, slow right down. We we're down to about three knots on the radio the whole time, putting out a call and you know fog signals and things. But it, it felt silly after four hours because. It's just there's no one around, and then people start seeing things, and Aaron's like, "No, there was definitely a boat out there," and I'm like, "I didn't see it." I was, I was notorious for seeing the ghost ship, France. But, you know. so, um, so, what is the sail? It's one prolonged blast every minute, isn't that the uh, the the? That's that's the one. That's Sailing the one. Vessel. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, one prolonged blast. So that was great. Um, but uh, more importantly, I was sort of was actually leaving that um, for every two minutes or so because I, I wanted to put. I was just putting out the radio call as often as I could bring myself to do it, just to tell everyone where we were and where we we're heading in case there was anyone around. Um, yeah. So by about seven thirty in the morning, no, eight. It was actually quite late. By eight a.m., it started to thin out, um, and we came out of it by about eleven. So finally, that was good. We could speed up. And we headed down. We we got it once more. Um, before we went round, there's a, we were heading in past Nazare. There's an island off, um, off the, the peninsula peninsula of, of Portugal called, uh, Forte de Sal, I think. Um, 
and oh, that's that's not the island, but that's the fort on there. Uh, and we were passing in between there and the mainland because it's quite a way out. So just before we got to there, about four hours before we got to there, we had another bank of this really heavy fog and got into it, um, but then got out of it again by the time we got to the coast. It was, a st it was probably, I think, the most stunning sunset after we went around that point of the whole trip. That sunset we had out there was just absolutely incredible. Um, and we got into Cash Cash at about... Every port we came into was it's in the about, middle of the it's night. It's about 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, we got yeah. in early, I think 11 or something like that. So we got into Cash Cash um, at, at about 11 with a, a, a small swell rolling. We'd kind of gotten away from the waves um, and came in there. Now, I had to make particular mention of it because they were amazing. The, the marina staff and just the marina generally at, um, at Marina Cash Cash was, was brilliant. They were, um, they were really good. Um, and we, we arrived in middle of the night, jumped into the marina. They pulled us onto the dock there, good radio contact and, um, and helped us to our berth and all of that, gave us cards for everything and filled us in, gave us maps and all that, um, put us in our berth. And then we did all the rest of the paperwork in the morning. So, um, they were, they were really helpful through the whole stay. We were there for two nights. That was one of the best experiences, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good, stuff. really good. So that was your first landfall in Portugal. And I know Portugal is another one of those countries that's a small country with a lot of bureaucracy. So at least it was when I cleared in a long time ago. So, so I mean, I, I guess where did you clear them from? Like we had no issue at all. We had no issue coming into Spain from France. Mm -hmm. they, they did marina. We didn't have to go anywhere. They just sorted it out for us. Um, you Did you say that um, customs came onto the boat in, Cash, in, in Coronia? Acaronia. Oh, Acaronia, yeah, yeah, they yeah. did. So yeah. the immigration guys came down to the boat, just asked about us. Erin um, was yeah. there. We weren't around. They didn't. They were, okay, that's fine. Um, and then in Portugal, it was even easier. I went to the office. They took the copies of the passport. I filled in the paperwork, and that was that was done. Hmm. No, um, I, 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 no, no problems. I was, this is when I sailed across the Atlantic in 97. I was sailing from Azores to Lagos, and that's where I cleared in was Lagos. But what, what bothered me was they... Um, they told me that at the time, and it could have easily changed since then, that I had to clear in and clear out of every port that I visited in Portugal. And uh, that was also the case in Spain back in the day. So that, that's why I say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very lucky these days with, with Schengen and just being able to cruise in and out. It's, um, it's amazing. But there was a stop that was well worth it, wasn't it? Apart from the fact that it was a necessity Oh, there was some great. really great stuff to see there, castles. Um, oh, yeah, is Portugal that where was, Yeah, yeah, Boca do Inferno. Uh, the, the place was incredible. And um, and just like the, the setting was quite surreal, just being able to cruise up the coast. And, and the waves that were forecast to come in, of course, they arrived um, again while we were at Cash Case. We've actually got some really good drone footage of, um, of the waves crashing in down the coast and hitting the marina breakwater. Um, but yeah, it was it was a stunning spot. And Boca del Furno, um, the Hell's Mouth, yeah, you know, call it Hell's Mouth, just up the coast. You could walk up there, with all the castles around, and uh, it's just the food was good too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cash Cash is a neat town. I uh, a couple of years ago when I flew back, I did a stopover in uh, in Portugal. I went to Lisbon, and from Lisbon, I took the train out to Cash Cash and walked around that marina. Just yeah, I always do that whenever I'm traveling. So I say, if I ever come here, I'll have a have a, a mental map of what it's like in here. So that was a nice, a very nice marina there at Cash Cash. Yeah, and um, it's it's actually something we've been trying to do. Every spot we go to is take take some drone footage and take some video and and put some videos up about these marinas or about the places we're going, just so that if someone is going into that marina, like we came in at night. Um, you know, with a bit of a swell running and things and to be able to know what it's like before you get there. Um, that stuff is hard to find online, even even these days with all of the Google Maps and everything. So um, we, did a, we did a short video of that and um, I wanted to show the marina entrance because there was actually a little bit of white water breaking across it um, in this certain swell direction. We saw a big catamaran come in and, you know, get thrown around a bit, they're okay. But just knowing that stuff is, um, and like there was markers in the middle of the marina entrance channel. And, you know, you've got to follow your gut when you've got 
you've got a red marker in the middle of a channel <laughs> at night. So, yeah. you know, I, I took it on my port side. There was enough room, but it felt it felt pretty small at, at 11 at night, I can tell you that. I bet it does, yeah. Nights, I, I don't like to go into marinas at night because <laughs> it's just, you just don't have a good, you have no depth perception at night. I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> that, but you have no depth perception at night. So I've always been nervous of doing anything at night. Did you take the train into Lisbon while you were there? No, we didn't. We um, I we, we had to stop and I had to get the service done on the engines. So the, okay. the crew saw a little bit more than I did. Uh, and we had an issue trying to get the water maker fixed. But um, the we took a day trip into Sintra mm-hmm. and went up to like um, uh, Palacio de Pena was one of the castles we went to. That was, that was so cool. Um, yeah, but Sintra was really, really neat. I was so annoyed. We all went in an Uber, and on the way in, because I'd organized with a guy to meet him at 3 o'clock or something, and on the way in, I get a phone call saying, oh, he's at the boat now. Oh, he's going to be at the boat. And I'm like, oh, you're choking me. <laughs> so I, I got a small run around um, Palacio de Bena, and then I had to get a car back. And then when I got back there, the guy didn't actually come. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a bummer. Yeah. But um, the idea was to try and see Lisbon, but I think it just would have ended up being too rushed. Yeah. Well, Sint is a fun place. I went there as well when I when I, I did a day trip up there as well. That was worth seeing. But uh, all right, let's continue on this adventure because this sounds like uh, you're, you're staying within 12 miles of the entire coast, which is oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Where do we go next? Um, so from there, yeah, we, we, we punched south. We decided to get out in the evening. Um, there was going to be no wind, but we thought, oh, we'll just we'll just get our drift on and, and head down the coast. So um, this was where we finally got some wind on our side. Once we passed Sins, um about halfway down to the point, um, we finally got some wind, and the strangest lights happened to us on this trip. And I get woken up, and they're like, Nick, what is this? And I said, I don't. No. <laughs> um, there was this huge red flashing lighting up half of the sky, and it seemed to be out from the coast, but when I, when I took a bearing and charted it, it was, it was, you know, it could have been in the water or over land, but being at night, it was very hard to fix the depth on it. My first reaction was, that's got to be an oil rig, but um, there was nothing charted for oil rigs in the area, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was really strange, and it just kept flashing and flashing, and then it stopped flashing and disappeared. And we were just nothing on AIS, nothing at all. And it was, um, but it, it was like something out of Lord of the Rings. It was lighting up half of the sky. Yes. It was so bright. Um, eventually, we kept sailing, sailing towards it <laughs> as it was. Um, and we, we figured out that it was highly likely it was a refinery on land close to the point. Hmm. But it was so confusing. Um, like we sailed past oil rigs and things in the Caribbean, and you know you're, you're expecting them. You can you can understand they're there and they have certain lights. But this was just this really threw us. It was um it was crazy. So if you if you're sailing down past that point, um it was by where was it? It was right down here by Rogel, uh further even. Which point? No, there it was. There's a little point that sticks out at um, uh, Praia de Bordera. At Car- oh, I can't pronounce these ones. Carapatiera. There's a point that sticks out, and the, and the oil refinery was on that point, um, just in, inland from that point, and it was yeah, it lit up the entire sky. It was that was crazy? Huh. Okay. So is that, I don't see that. Spent a lot of time trying to work out. What- yeah. It might be, is that north of Sinis, S-I-N-E-S? Is that where it's at or north of that? Uh, south. south of that. Okay, all right. Um, That's all right. I'm a little, little nipple that sticks out. Um, yeah, so um, Catapetiera. Catapetiera, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, so there was a there was an oil, oil refinery in there, which I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Hmm. So okay. from from that point on, we got wicked wind. This is where the catamaran actually really came into its own. It finally started doing sailing. Um, and and we got we had full sail up. We were pulling eights and nine knots, which was great. Uh, but the, the swell started running big here. We had four and a half meters again. And um, around around the Cape Cape Point there was we got this in the daytime and it was um 
uh, before we turned east. It was just awesome. Seeing the waves crash in on there uh, and then sailing down past the, the second point out in front of Sagres, uh, we, we got some huge clean waves there. And I think we hit about 13 knots in this catamaran surfing on these waves. It was, um, it was pretty cool actually. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, the rest of, the rest of this is kind of, other than a good sunset beer as we sailed away from there, it was relatively uneventful. It was a, it was a long night, a lot of fishing vessels along this point down heading past Cardiz. Um, and, really really strange red and blue flashing lights on the water which i think we can only figure out were on um, people's um fishing nets and just um you know random random nets and things and boys that people have put out and there was a whole bank of fishing vessels anchored well off the coast um so that the, all of the light um it's funny because i used to teach a lot of this stuff and i used to teach all the light configurations that you see and you have those flashcards that tell you what you're going to see if this is a fishing vessel or if this is this and I, any sailor will tell you if they've been out there at night nothing looks like that really that's right no is this is this is this south of cadiz and north of gibraltar you're talking about then yeah yeah as we so yeah. we passed cadiz and um and um in the day mm-hmm. in the evening and as the sunset, we're heading south down towards Travolta. So uh, we were in the dark, you know, an hour after Cardiz. And just, yeah, all of this area down here off the coast was just fishing zones and exclusion zones and heaps of lights from vessels out uh, that just made no sense whatsoever. And then all of these small buoys um, that, were, that were in the water, uncharted stuff that had lights on them, thank goodness, but weird lights to be seeing. Um yeah, so that did, night took us you, down to the Strait of Gibraltar. Did you did you did you toast uh, Lord Nelson when you went past Trafalgar? <laughs> I did not. I didn't even think of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, all I could think about was what's the Gibraltar Strait going to be like? We were on the run, <laughs> trying to catch this weather window before the wind came up from the east, and um, it didn't look like we we're going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta I gotta point out. So you saw the same thing I did. But I was I was hopping down the coast when I did it, and uh, when I sailed into Portugal, then I sailed across and went up the river to Sevilla, came down down back down the river, hopped on down to Cadiz, and then from Cadiz, uh, I, we, my next port of call was Barbate, which you sailed right by. And going into yeah. Barbate, it's it's just it's a maze of nets that are laid out in the ocean, and that's probably what you're seeing that we had the hardest time finding our way through this maze of nets to even get into Barbati. It's like we had to go way south and come back way up the coast. And that's what you were seeing because it's still, yeah. it was there back in 97 and obviously it's still there right now. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, those ones were inland of us. So at least that was, that was something. When we were coming after Cardiz before um, Trafalgar, that was where a lot of these vessels were out to sea. And all of these lights sitting out there that we were just, you know, they were in the in the fishing zones. Mm, okay. We could see on the chart, but you just couldn't you couldn't really tell what anyone was doing. So it was it was good to be looking at Barbate and looking at all those lights. At least they were landward of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So how was your passage through Gibraltar? Did you get lucky? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we felt we were lucky when we got to the other side. <laughs> I got tired. <laughs> um, yeah, as I say, we're trying to hit this weather window, but it just we didn't make it. So I think I think we still we we got the start of the eastern winds coming through, and so we didn't get the full brunt of it. But we went through Gibraltar Strait in twenty-eight to thirty-five knots of wind. Coming at you then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, in the middle of the night again. In the middle of the night, so we passed. Um, yeah, we passed that that point. Tarifa, um, yeah. At um Tarifa yeah. at about two a.m. Um, I was trying to get oh no about three a.m. I was trying to get there by about one midnight, but we just didn't have the pace. The wind really dropped off and then started coming at us. Um, so heading it was it was funny like heading up to that point of tarifa the tide just did strange things i was kind of expecting it but we went from three and a half meter waves to one meter waves to three and a half meter waves to one meter waves it was just it was up and down um as the as the tide just kept grabbing them and, and letting them go 
We had this stupid super yacht come up behind us. Like, I'm seeing his lights for ages. He was on AIS. Everything was normal. But then he just got closer and closer and closer um, following our stern. And eventually he put on these big floodlights and pointed them straight at us. It was a a sailing yacht, big catch, Um, like he hadn't seen us. It was like, oh, it it was really, really annoying. But what was good about him was we followed his line. Um, he passed us just before Tarifa, and we followed his line out towards the um, the shipping zone, and then uh, out towards the center of the shipping zone, and then and then we went straight up the guts in the middle there as well. But it was it was no no autopilot. We were all up and awake. We were getting a heft around probably three three to four meter waves, and they were short. And it was just two engines. We couldn't go fast because the, the catamaran just kept lifting up and slamming down. So we had to find our sweet spot, which was about three and a half knots of boat speed um, so that we weren't just heaving off these waves and slamming. But we were doing about six over ground, yeah. Yeah, which was good. Um, but it was, it was a cool experience. There's still a lot of traffic. It was just a yeah. tiring they say, they, they say there's a constant inbound current at the surface going into the Mediterranean and about a couple, yeah. 100 feet or 200 feet down, there's a constant outflow from the denser, saltier water flowing out into the wow. Atlantic. So Yeah, it's cool. It's, yeah. Um, it's great for going, going with the flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and it was, it, was, it was very neat to just, to just feel that. Like, I mean, we're, I'm used to sailing in Cook Strait, New Zealand. We get a lot of tide down there, like, people do and you know in the Solent and things seven eight to twelve knots of tide sometimes you know you can't can't fight that sort of thing but to to feel this and this one one way tide one way flow was incredible um yeah and just just watching it work was um was really interesting let me ask you what what weather service um, did you use that worked what was your what what did you use for weather and how accurate was it we used we used Predict Wind um, uh, downloading grid files, so we had the Iridium. Um, I'd originally setting up for a proper blue water passage, you know, for across Biscay, across to Sicily, across to Italy, um, but we we ended up on the coast. But we had the Iridium Go satellite link up, and we had the Predict Wind subscription, so we were pulling in the PWG, PWE models, and the GMS, GM, GMS. GMFSS, there's four models they give you. Okay. You can get an uh, EC, ECNF, is that it? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And that model, Erin um, had looked up a few a few people that she'd been following and what they suggested for our year. Oh, it was from your podcast, actually. It was, yeah. I think it was, was her name Julie or something? Yeah, Julia, Julia Andrews. She's our, uh, yeah. our resident um, meteorologist or climatologist or whatever she is. She is. So. Yeah, so we listened to that, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. So she said that in that side, Biscay and down that coast, that the ECMWF or ECMF um, model was the was the one to, uh, seemingly the most accurate. And I'd agree with her on that. Uh, it really was quite good. But once we got down to Biscay, uh, sorry, once we got down to Gibraltar and started heading up to Spain, I found myself understanding the PWG model a little bit more um, but effectively, to be honest, I just, I would look at every model and then I'd get my own isobar and I'd just take a, you know, uh, a line between them all and see what I thought might happen based on last night. Okay. Okay. Mm. Did you stop in and, Gibraltar? Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, did you stop in Gibraltar? No. No. Okay. no, I just kept going straight through and then started heading up to Spain. Okay. Well, it was a bit sad. Well, it was a bit sad because I think it was hard yards getting through the strait. Definitely, the day after oh. the strait was really rough, wasn't it? We just we, had yeah, we had three, yeah. four days just on the nose, just horrible, horrible. Yeah, and a catamaran. Like if you look at it, the angles were probably good that you would had to throw in a few tacks every now and then if you were in a mono hull and you're sailing well. Good, good jib setup and you know two reefs, but um, in the cat it just. You just can't make any headway. If you've got a wave and you've got it on the nose, the thing just needs a motor on, otherwise it's going nowhere. But then by lunchtime the next day, you guys were swimming in the water. <laughs> so it turned around, yeah. Did we swim that day? I thought that was yeah. after Cartagena. No, it wasn't, was it? It was No, it was just as we were coming into Cartagena. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we did a few swims off the boat. That was nice. Well, you're making pretty good time if you're getting all the way to Cartagena. That's That's really moving. 
I think it took oh. me a month to get up to Cartagena well, from Gibraltar. I mean, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it probably would have been a nicer passage, though. <laughs> yeah, so we we got to Cartagena, not even realizing that it was um, it was Carnival in Spain that that night. <laughs> so we sailed into um, Cartagena, only having picked it because one of my friends from Split, Croatian guy, said, "Hey, I've got an apartment there. I heard you sailing. Stop in, we'll have a beer." So um, we thought, sure, we'll do that. Um, and we stopped in, and then it was um, carnival. So we stayed We stayed a night. Um, we didn't actually stay the night in the end. I had to pay for a night. But we stayed till midnight so we could enjoy carnival and then took off at midnight um, and headed for, headed for Barcelona. But um, carnival was amazing. It was, it was really neat. It's been a long time since I've, I remember getting into Cartagena. There's a big uh, military port around Cartagena, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, it smells funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the port and the um, there must be smelting or something in the port that's outside of it because uh, it, it really smelled quite strange on the way in, and um, and you really like from sea like I knew nothing about this place. You know, all I've been thinking about is the marina and the and the marine side of it and weather. So we get in there and it just looks industrial and a bit flat, you know, boring. Some cool forts on the hill, but once the once the sun came up and we went out and went exploring, the place was cool. It was really neat. <clears throat> all right, so continue on from Cartagena then. So you're, I mean, you're just you're just. Like I always say, you're roller skating through the Louvre. You've got all these great stops, but you're just making time. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We just we just got to put miles on the clock because it's this time we're heading north and we should be heading east. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and the issue now was we we taken so long to do what we'd done. Um, we had to start getting rid of crew because they were they were over their time. So we we dropped a crew member in Cartagena. Uh, is that we? No, no. Uh, Barcelona. No, no, we dropped Jonathan Cartagena. Drop oh, Car- yeah, yeah, we did. You're right. Sorry. And so my wife, and we agreed my wife would meet us in Barcelona, so we um, had to head up there. So we, we did that. That trip was relatively uneventful. We decided to leave at midnight just so we could go a bit slower, not use so much fuel, and we just motored. We had a little bit of sailing a um, couple of the days on the evenings as um, the sun set, but other than that, it was all it was all quiet. So we, we got into Barcelona and... Um, and spent some time there, picked up my wife, um, and we spent two nights there because the crew wanted to have a bit of a, a beat around town and have a break. Um, and then... You had to get up and check the, um, the oh, reading, yeah. didn't you, when we so got to Barcelona? On the way to Barcelona, I, was, I thought this was really slack from Lagoon. On the way to Barcelona, we um, were just motoring along, sunning ourselves on deck. It was lovely. And me and Kane hear this... <laughs> I think, what was that? And we look around, what's going on? Um, and I realized that the topping lift holding up the boom has just snapped. Not like the rope, but it's it's only, it's tied through the end of the boom. There's no shackle on there. And it's for the last three weeks or two weeks, it's just been soaring through this line. Wow. Uh, and it just broke doing six and a half knots on flat water under motor. Um, and it just snapped. It cut right through and it snapped. And it all line onto the lazy bag uh, and ripped part of the lazy bag six inches down the seams, which was really annoying. Um, yeah, and it hung up like that. So they just tied it onto this boom. I'd missed it on the check-in um, and it had no shackle on it. So that was, I was really peeved. Um we're just and, lucky that it happened in relatively calm weather, really. Yeah, well, if it had it gone when we're going through the Straits of Gibraltar, it would have smashed the composite top on the um, – the boom would have just hit the composite top and destroyed it on the catamaran. Hmm. So we were lucky for that one. Um, yeah, and uh, then when we got to – I fixed that and then looked up and we had this huge amount of chafing on our topping lift right up by where it was sitting by the head plate on the sail. Uh, and I was like, crap, that looks like it's going to break. So when I got to Barcelona, I went up the mast. I had to tie in a loop to it um, to hold it because it was. It was was chafed right through because on the cat, the topping lift comes out right next to the main halyard and obviously it got caught up over the top and then just chafed through. Um, And I don't want to buy a new topping lift because this isn't my boat. That's not my (laughs) – I don't want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on that. So I I tied in a a bowline and a loop into it on a 
on an alpine butterfly to hold it, which worked fine for the rest of the trip. But um, yeah, I was, I was really annoyed about them just tying that into the boom. Um, and I'm really glad we did it because heading into um, what we went, we left Barcelona and um, punched up the coast and we stopped in this little spot called, um, what was that? Yeah. It was before we got, before we went around into France because there was going to be a, a 40 knot system running through. Um, it's in Costa Brava area, right? Yeah, Costa Brava. It was, it was yeah. just this little, Le this Franc. little nook in La Franque, um right up the coast there before we went around into um into into france because we had this this weather system coming through and we're like okay well we don't want to be out there just fighting that so we stopped overnight there dropped anchor and and had a nice breakfast before we continued on um i was really impressed when we sailed into um this this uh what do you call it they had this name for it I met a sailor in Cartagena said, be careful crossing this area. This is this first part of coast of France up to Montpellier and down to Marseille. And um, he said, if you get a weather window, put your engines on, go straight across and get out of it. And I'm thinking, hmm, that would be great if I could go straight across, but I can't. Um, and we, we went around the coast into there and the forecast was pretty good. And I'd done my sort of predictions on it thinking, okay, we should get this by this time and we should be okay. Once you got around the point into the evening, the French Coast Guard actually called us. They picked us up on AIS. They hailed the vessel at this position and um, got some information from us and checked in. That was the most interactive we'd had anyone on the whole trip. The French Coast Guard picked us up and just got some information, said, where are you going? Have a safe trip, which was cool. Um, and so sailing in around there, close-ish to Montpellier, the weather really started kicking up from the southwest, uh, southeast. And it was supposed to be it was supposed to be more south so that we could reach across past Marseille and around the point. It came early and it came strong, and we ended up fighting this horrible, horrible dual swell, four meters from two sides, short, and it was just it was the worst night and day of the entire trip through there. It was just throwing us around, kicking up and down. Mind. We had a helicopter come and check on us. Oh, yeah, then we had this helicopter hover behind us. I was asleep, so I didn't see it, but um, hover right behind us. I think they were checking to see if we were alive or if we were okay. But we ended up just saying, stuff this and ducked into Marseille after 28 hours in this horrible slot um, and ducked into Marseille and just stopped overnight because it was, it was rough going and it, was, it felt like it was going to tear the boat to pieces. I'm trying to think of the winds that come off the French coast. I mean, they have some specific winds that come down the Loire Valley. Was this coming from the northeast or was this coming from the south? Where was the, where was the wind south. coming from? It was coming it from was the south. The sea. Yeah, it was okay. southeast. So I suppose they'd call it, um, I mean, it's not Chiroco, it's um, Levant. No, I'm not sure. But um, it, was, it was just horrible. It was because everyone said, "Yeah, be careful of these of these northwest winds that come across the bay. They get really, really strong." Right. But this was just horrible. Absolutely th- those horrible. Are ca- those are called the Mistrals, isn't that what they're called? The Mistrals. Yeah, Mistral. Yeah, yeah from the north. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mistral. Um, and so that's what I was trying to stay away from. I was like, "Okay, cool, that's good." And when we went past Perpignan, it was it was easy weather. We had good wind, and we we're just sailing along, really good speed through the night. But then that sort of 3 a.m. and this this came up and the angle came around, the waves came up and it just kept sucking us towards this coast and it's shallow there. Like we were in getting down to 18 meters of water and it was just everything about it felt horrible. Um, yeah, just, ugh, I hate, hate even thinking about it. Um, and the catamaran hated it. Like this cross swell was just was thrown up like little mountains everywhere and we just kept taking spray all over the front of the boat, diving the hole into the water, and it was it just never ended. It was horrible. <laughs> all right, I, I, I got I gotta stop you and, and uh now I everybody I talk to nowadays wants to buy a catamaran because of all the space and they can put the washer and dryer on there and have the water maker and all the comforts of home and uh i mean the lagoons are one of those that everybody covets and now you're you're telling me that you're not a fan of catamarans and so i i want to i want to get your opinion and and your justification for it because i'm a monohull guy 
But I've been on catamarans, and boy, they sure feel nice and spacious. <laughs> oh, this is a good conversation. We need a bottle, and how long have you got? <laughs> um, yeah, so I am through and through a monohull person as well. I loathe catamarans with a vengeance. <laughs> um, my wife and I are very prone to seasickness, and everyone thinks we're crazy being in the business we're in, but we actually get very seasick, so we manage that as best we can. Catamarans make us feel absolutely hard. Uh, the movement's not natural. It's just not okay. We sail them a lot in the Caribbean, and I've, I'll take my hat off to a catamaran for certain things. They're really good for drinking, <laughs> diving, and being at the dock. <laughs> oh, I, I like. There's another thing. They're very good at using diesel. Okay. Um, and they were a lot of fun on a reach with a decent wind and flat water. Um, but I think the space is actually a bit of an – it's a bit of a myth – um, there is a lot of space on catamarans, yes, but there's not actually that much more. Like if you compare, and I compare in charter prices because that's the world I'm in, but what you'll pay for a, say, a 42-foot catamaran versus a 55-foot monohull, they're around about on par. Probably you actually get a, a bigger monohull really for that sort of thing. Now, when you start comparing space and usable space, there's not that much more on a catamaran. The, the main space more is usually that you can walk around a portion of your bed. Um, and the lagoon, the 42 we were on, was great for that. They were incredibly comfortable beds and spacious cabins. But the cabins were freezing um, on the trip. They were really yeah, cool. Cold. And they're so noisy when you're underway. The boat feels like it's going to tear itself to pieces. And the bulkheads are flexing. And, oh, it's just... If you're, if, and this is a passage making, this isn't holiday making. If you're in the bow cabins, you're not sleeping. Like they're throwing around something crazy. Um, and so you really, we share the stern cabins on passage and you've either got the engine noise or the absolute screeching of the hull. Uh, they're really, really loud. Um, and the, the living area inside, uh, so in the saloon where the galley is, now that this is amazing for being able to sit in there and look out at the view um, but there's not actually that much room in there on a 42. It's about three and a half meters deep um, from, from you go through the door to the, to the front windows. There's a saloon table, and it, the space is just a bit strange to me. Um, I also find you can't really open them up. We couldn't have fresh air running in the catamaran in the saloon other than the back door being open because the forward windows are going to take on water, um, and they say closed during navigation, and there's actually no other hatches in the boat um, that you can open when you're underway. You know, on the monohull, you can open your, your top saloon hatches um, after the mast as long as you're not getting too much spray over. You're never going to take massive water over them, though. Um, and you get a much more better airflow. The cats just don't, they don't have that. Basically, I've, I've, I've skippered on them in the summers here as well, taking holidays on them. And if you want to be in that boat when the sun's out, you've got to have the air conditioning on. Otherwise, it's just too hot. Well, one one thing, like you are definitely a monohull mono <laughs> for sure. One thing that I know that you did enjoy was the helm station of oh, this cab. Like that, oh. that was pretty great. Franz, we went through, you know what it's like sailing your boat. And if you're in a storm and you've got to sit at your helm, have you got a centre cockpit or an aft cockpit? Aft uh, cockpit, aft, yeah, aft cockpit, aft. yeah. Okay, yeah. So you're, you're more exposed, aren't you? You know, you've got to put all your kit on. Uh, you're gonna be out there. You're gonna be ready for it all, um, and you're gonna get you're gonna get some waves. Um, you're gonna get some spray, all that sort of stuff. We had this. Um, I know you probably see in that vlog or whatever, but the catamaran we were on, it had a, a composite top, and then the superstructure had uh, zip down um, uh, plastic windows all around it, so you could just about completely enclose it. Now this trip would have been horrible. Um, without those plastic covers, if they hadn't have chosen to have them, um, or uh, even if it had been on a monohull for some of these parts, I would have been. It would have been very uncomfortable. I think I would have preferred it still on a monohull, 100%. But um, that enclosed 
enclosed cockpit area was the helm station was so um, weather tight. It was really nice to be up there in, in 35 knots and waves and staying dry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting because, you know, I, I'm in, at some point in time, I'll buy another vessel that I can take my family on. My boat's a small boat and I can uh-huh. sail with three people comfortably, but more than that, and it's just too crowded. But so it yeah. basically precludes me from taking my extended family, my granddaughters and my my daughter and her husband and so forth. Uh, so I got, I got to get something bigger. And my friends are saying, hey, we're going to go in together and buy a boat. So my friends are saying, let's get a catamaran. Let's get a catamaran. I thought, I don't know. I've never been a catamaran person. And you're you're making me think uh, twice about a catamaran. I got to say that. That's good. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's different ways to look at it. It's all. I, I still think it all depends on the sailing you do and what sort of what sort of sailing or cruising you want to do because there's, there's certainly a place for it. Uh, and some people just feel more comfortable on cats. They don't understand the healing and, you know, the safety behind being able to heal your boat over and let it come back up. So I, I get that. Um, but in a sailing sense, like we burnt so much diesel on this trip to get from A to B. Um, if the wind is on your side, the boat sails. Okay. okay, it moves, you know, but I could never get the speeds out of it that I think I can get out of a out of a mono hull. Okay, um, and you certainly can't go to windward. So that was that was frustrating for me. And the the storage on the boat, I mean, all these air conditioning units and everything take up most of the storage under the um the saloon seats. And I just I did not like I just didn't like the design of this one. The bathrooms were laid out a bit strange. Um, yeah. It's and, and it's the tearing. It's the way the hulls flex between each other and swell. It's just not fun. Not to mention when you go to a dock and dock your boat, you get charged fifty percent or more more for that docking fee. Yeah, yeah. But boy, they can back <laughs> up easily because you got the two big, widely separated engines. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, and they're, they're relatively easy to like. I mean. I know people think they're pretty scary to park because they're big and they're wide. You can't see them. I think they're pretty good because you have got that that twin screw, that ability to rotate them. Yeah. And in saying that, they're still not. You know, they're not simple. The rudder is ahead of the um, the propellers on the lagoons. Mm. The rudder's in front of the propeller, so that changes things a little bit as well. Um, yeah, it just um, it just I don't know. And the funny thing was, it was really hard for us to get a um a berth anywhere in france no one wanted to take a catamaran yeah that was true it was weird yeah so we, we've got calling around these marinas of like we've got this weather coming i need i need a spot for the night and um everyone's like oh no we don't take catamaran really no, because i mean that french sailors are notorious for cats yeah i know <laughs> but yeah we were in nice and um and no one wanted us <laughs> Okay. We ended up parking at the fuel dock when we got in. More than once, actually. Yeah, yeah. Spots. Um, and then the swell came up so bad, they put us inside. They said, oh, no, you can't stay here. And I'm like, look, come on, come with me. And they ended up putting us in a new – they saw the boat rocking around on the dock. It was going to destroy itself. Um, so they, they said, no, no, it's too dangerous. We will. We found your berth inside. But it was – yeah, they didn't want to take a catamaran at all. Okay. So you went from mm. Marseille over to – is it your next stop, Nice, then? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we took off out of Marseille early in the morning. We just, we just took six hours sleep and then got out of there. Um, and then sailed to Nice because there was another weather system coming through. We had to, had to dodge, um, spent a night, uh, spent two nights in Nice, I think, or the night we arrived and another night in Nice, um, which was lovely. And then carried on. So I, you know, I mean, I think that was relatively uneventful. I think of Nice as, uh, I, okay, so Nice, I mean, that's right on the French Riviera, and that's where I think, uh, you know, everybody has, wants to go there. Is that an expensive marina to stay at? No. Really? Um, no, it wasn't. I mean, we were in off-peak times, but that was one of the cheapest stops we had. Now, we stayed a little bit outside of the main town, didn't we? Yeah, Not we too far, stayed... But... Not not far at all. Like there's a there's a peninsula that comes out, and we stayed in uh, Saint Jean Cap Ferrat, um, off Palo- like just down from Paloma Beach. So it's like it took us about 25 minutes on the bus to get to the uh, Nice Old Town. 
Okay. So, yeah, and, and it had much better um, shelter from the swells than um, yeah. than the other spots um, around as well. So the, like the, the, actual, the actual town the of Nice, you're, you're talking about that that harbor around the peninsula and up uh, to the to the east of the town of Nice. Is that where you're talking about then? That marina? Yeah, and, okay. yeah over the next peninsula as well. So you've right. got the, the first one, um, Villa Franche Mer, and then you go over further to Colablanche, and there's, um, okay. there's a marina called Saint-Jean-Cap-Ferrat. Okay, there it it's is. It's a little town. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Some junk for that. So we stayed in there, and um, and I paid like thirty euros for a berth mm. for the night, which was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I paid I paid sixty four euros because I took up two berths, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was thirty euros. It was um, it was great. <laughs> okay. So they were they were brilliant. Um, and it was it was beautiful around there. It really was. I don't. I know. I think. I think this is me being spoiled with um, a lot of islands and Caribbean and Croatia and and what I imagined Greece will be. But there didn't seem a lot to to see in a marina sense as well. Like this. This for me. This is a spot where you'd go in your power boat and you'd buzz over here and buzz back over there and, and enjoy the cafes on the on the Riviera uh, as opposed to sailing around. But um, it was it was a very pretty place though. Okay. Yeah. What I call the Riva crowd. The Reva mm, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been a part of that a few times. I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As long as somebody else paid for the fuel, I'm always in favor of that. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. So, yeah. um, yeah, Nice was lovely. Um, this, this trip up, up to Genoa and, um, and then down, down into Italy, this was just, it was for us, it was just a slog because we had to get up to a waypoint 12 miles off Genoa before we headed back down. But we, we came all the way down past Livorno and we got to – we just randomly picked this place because I needed some fuel. It was a, another weather system coming through. I'm like, okay, we'll stop. We'll get some fuel. fuel. And we didn't want to stop anywhere on the mainland because of the COVID-19 situation. So we stopped at Giglio. And there's a spot called Giglio Porto. So off of um, – You want to spell that for France? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll type it in. Okay. G-I-G-L-I-O. So that's the Gilio island, Al okay. Giglio, and it's it's just off Toscana. Okay, there we go. We're zooming in on it with Google Earth. Oh yeah. Okay, so you're coming way down. So you've rounded the corner and just boogieing on down the coast then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there was there was nothing much to um to report of all of that. I mean, I'm sure there's some cool stuff up there, but this from what we could see, it was just um it was just ports, ships, <laughs> uh, one really big beacon. And a lot of muddy water. Okay. I think they had a lot of rain, and a bit of you know, these waves that had come in the previous days had really stirred things up because it was shallow. So, um, so yeah, we just we just went straight down, boogied on down as you said, and um, and stopped at this this port. Another one we came to in the middle of the night. <laughs> Everything was in the night. And we were only thinking that we were going to duck right in and duck straight out again, weren't we? Yeah, we just wanted some fuel, and um, we just wanted to get some fuel. So I looked on this, and um, this place like it was was a good option um sheltered and all that and it got us further down which was great so we we pulled in here and it was it was in a marine sense it was deserted there was no no yachts or anything like that and the the summer um pontoons and everything is what you'd expect to see in the summer full of full of small yachts was all deserted and not really working and there was a ferry um, quite a big ferry that goes between between uh, Porto Santo Stefano and Giglio Porto. So he was coming in and out quite often. And so we had to be sure of his wash. But we just parked on the breakwater on the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we, we talked to the local the local crew in there and said, hey, can we can we get some fuel? And they, they wouldn't let us <laughs> um, because of where we needed to park. Um, where we needed to park, there was... Uh, was basically where the ferry went. So we we said, hey, we just want to come over here. You know, the gas station opens at eight. We're going to be on the pontoon at eight. And he's like, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't. And so we ended up talking to the port guys, and they said, okay, yes, you can get fuel, but you have to wait until the ferry comes at eight thirty, and then you know, and then you have to wait until it leaves at one or whenever it was or eleven or something. So so they were really good. They didn't charge us to stay there. We didn't get power or water, but they didn't charge us. They just said, yeah, that's fine. 
and we we cruised around had, had a look on the island and um everything was shut down it was all, all winterized uh, there's a couple of restaurants open in the evening if, and, a, and a cafe um but we went up to the fort to Giglio Castello mm-hmm. um started walking there and um and a, a lovely lady Australian lady who'd been living on the island for 20 years or something yeah um she picked us up and we threw us on the back of this little um wagon thing Aaron was in the in the seat it was a little two-seater with a, a, a truck deck on it flat flat bed yeah and she she took us up to the top which was great so we we went and checked out the Castello it was a beautiful little town up in that castle it was really cool um, my wife said she'd come back here just to just to spend a week on this island just chilling out it was, it was a um, real hidden gem wasn't it uh, oh, yeah. it was a really sweet little spot yeah unexpected scenery yeah um, that was neat. Yeah, really cool. And um, and we we walked down walked down the other side of the island down to the beach, um, uh, Campisi. Uh, you could just walk down this goat track down into the, to the little township. We had some snacks there and and got a got a cab back over to the marina. It was great. Well, that's the, an island that's not even been on my radar. So that might be something to see on my way back through at some point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I was originally going to the anchorage over at Campisi because um, it looked really sheltered. I thought, okay, that's a that's a good spot. But uh, then when we thought, oh, I need some fuel, I ended up at, at Porto, so Angelio Porto. But that anchorage on the other side looks it was very sheltered and very flat from a from quite an ugly wind that was blowing at the time from the from the south southwest. Um, and we learnt we very much learnt about the Tyrrhenian Sea once we left Giglio. <laughs> <laughs> We needed to get rid of a crew member, so Kane needed to fly out. We booked him a ticket from Rome, okay. um, and we're like, right, we'll leave Giglio at, um, at at midnight to try and get to. So we're off the coast of Rome um, to Roma at uh, you know seven eight a.m. for his flight at one, and so that was all best laid plans. We were supposed to get a. We were leaving on the dying on a dying wind, apparently. Um, but we got out there. The wind was absolutely raging all night. And now I'm like, okay, we're just going to go because this, you know, the dock is getting really rough and I don't know how it's rough in here, but it is. So we took off and once we left, we got out into about seven knots of wind and then nothing. Ended up motoring 90% of the way to Rome. And then the wind came up. As we were approaching Rome, the wind came up to 35 knots. <laughs> On your nose? We were like 15 minutes away oh, from yeah. being in the port, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't. I, the waves were the waves were already up a bit, um, three. They're getting up quite a bit actually, and they were short. And I was starting to look at trying to get into Fiumicino, or even into um, the next one over. And I was like, this is not looking good. Uh, and then we just got 35 knots. The waves kicked up short to, she's that was four and a half meters. They were huge, and we were just kicking around. I'm on the radio trying to call the port authorities for these two ports, saying. You know, just get anyone to say, is it safe to enter to go in this entrance? <coughs> and, um, and I end up on the on the radio to the Coast Guard, and we're spelling things phonetically and trying to understand each other in Italian and English. They were great. They were really great. They were patching me through to different um, different port uh, harbour masters to to say, is this entrance okay? And like, well, okay, we're going to try and send you down here. I need, I was really trying to communicate with them that we. We needed shelter from the weather, yes, but we just needed to drop off a crew member. Um, eventually, they, they, I just had to say, yes, we need shelter from bad weather. And we, we did, So, but we were fine. Like I know it was 35 knots and four and a half metres, but we were safe. We, were, you know, we had three reefs in and we were just cru- – two reefs in and we were just cruising around trying to get into the entrance. But it was, it was so ugly. And after about 40 minutes of communicating – and them saying this entrance is dangerous and this one's very dangerous. I sailed a bit further down around the point to see um, what the what the entrance to to Ostia looked like um, in Antica, and it just there's just white water everywhere, and the waves were hitting the coast and just smashing up. I just said no, we we're getting out of here, and I just said to the coast guard, look, thank you, you guys have been great. We're going to sail to Napoli. And, and go, you know, and shelter there. <laughs> okay. Because, yeah. yeah, it just turned out, and I, I Googled more information about that port, and apparently catamarans have just been smashed up on that entrance uh, in bad weather because it's really shallow and dangerous. 
We felt so bad, though, because this crew member that was with oh. us came, he was packed up. He, he, <laughs> he had his, nice his plain clothes on, out of his sailing gear for the first time in a few weeks, and he was, like, literally ready to step off. Yeah. It was really sad to, like, turn around and keep going. And I was like, sorry, mate. <laughs> well, that was probably another full day to get down to Naples or Napoli. Yep, it sure was. Um yeah, and it was uh, we had good wind, but it was an ugly sail. Yeah, that that coming through between um, uh, between uh, Sardinia and what is it, Capri? Um, yeah, Corsica. No, Ischia, Ischia, probably Ischia. Yeah, yeah. So that the wind coming through there, it was it was pretty heavy, and the waves were big. We had a lot of ships around. It was um, I didn't sleep a lot that that night. So we did overnight, got into Naples and um and managed to get into a into a port there to let him off. Uh, okay. which was good. So So you went that, straight into Naples, you didn't stop in Provisa. I wintered in Provisa one year. That's uh, on your way uh, in. Into where? Provisa. No, not Provisa. Um Gaeta. Gaeta. You went right by Gaeta. Did you okay. stop there? Do you went straight into Naples? Um, we went straight in, like okay. we were, we were burning the candle and we had to, we booked him another flight. So we needed to get in, didn't actually go into Naples. I went into, um, uh, Pizzoli? Pizzoli, I think. Right? Okay. Um, it was just a little closer and, I, and with Corot, we didn't want to go right into the city and things like that. Um, yeah, there was an area, Molo Caliano. Yeah, it was cool. It was it was in yeah, there was, was a port Pizzoli. Yeah. yeah. Um and we stopped in there to another another marina. And they were they were pretty helpful. They were good. We got some we were able to fill up with water. Uh, they charged us just ten euros to, to start the um the power and water pump thingy and we, we could wash down and do all that. Very sophisticated um docking uh like the shore power and water system there it was great. You uh, you get a token. You go in and you top it up with however much you want to top it up. Minimum is 10 euros. And you get a token. And then you can activate and deactivate your um, uh, your box uh, for the shore power or the water. And they had washdown water and they had drinking water. So um, you could just activate and deactivate. And then it would just take out the prepaid amount uh, from, from the account. So it was, it was the most sophisticated shore power and water system I'd, I'd seen. I've, I've seen that in boat yards nowadays. I've seen that a lot in Turkey and uh, several places now. That's the that's the right. that's what they do. So yeah, so that was it was it was neat to see. So hopefully that that becomes a bit more of a thing um, in more places. Yeah, well, Prezuli is very close to Gaeta, so you went right by Gaeta. So okay, yeah, yeah. I just I had no idea about this area. It was all my first time, so we just um we just sort of. Winning, <laughs> yeah, found something, yeah. Um, but that was a it was a real shame to have to run through this area because I mean you're looking at Isle de Capri, Sorrento, and oh, yeah, it was so sad to sail oh. past Capri. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you just you just kept going <laughs> south at that point in time. You're just trying to get right down through the Messina Strait, then, huh? Oh yeah, I mean we were just on it. We were on a rush. Um, we needed to get home. Like I, I mean, I got company stuff to take care of. We got people that needed to get off the boat. Uh, well, not anymore as such. But it's like Aaron was supposed to be um, flying to Australia to visit family and do things. It's like there's all this going on, and if the country's locked down and we're not home, what's going to happen? Yeah. So we were just at this point, we just started burning more and more fuel. Um, and just trying to get places because the wind the wind wasn't on our side much either. We yeah. saw a volcano. Where was the oh volcano? yeah, that was cool. That was cool because we sailed past um, a Stromboli. Stromboli, yeah, yeah. it yeah. was erupting. Yeah, it was like, it was smoking. It was smoking. Okay. It was smoking. Oh, so, you, so so you didn't go by it at night then, huh? No, we got that. Um, we got that in the day. So we basically did all of the. We were from Capri, past Capri in the late afternoon, and then um, right through the night, very uneventful, which was nice. Um, some good wind as we passed um, passed by the rest of the coast, and then the sun came up halfway down there to, to Stromboli. And then we had that day sort of passing Stromboli, getting to um, getting to Messina. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was a nice 
it was nice to have flat water again. We hadn't had flat water in quite a while at that point and we were well over it. So, <laughs> yeah. So then, then you, now you went through Messina and then did you stop anywhere along the, the toe or the heel of Italy? No, no, just on our bike. We just had to get moving. And this is where we started hearing about the lockdown. Um, and so it was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta figure out what we're doing here. So it was just keep moving. And then that was when we passed Crotone. Uh, and then I backed up and went back into Crotone to get our clearance. Okay. Well, we've gone another hour, believe it or not. And I think, I think, I think what we're going to need to do is we haven't even scratched some of the stories I'm sure you have to say, tell. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to come back to you for another, uh, to, talk and discussion some other time is that okay with you yeah that'd be great all right quickly quickly tell people how they can get a hold of you and i want you to send me all the links and the write-up that you want me to put in the show notes on on how to get a hold of you and what you do so i'll put that in the show notes but for right now just tell people how they can get a hold of you your youtube channel and so forth and i'll put links to that in the show notes All right, great. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Uh, well, basically, we are, we're we called 45 Degrees Sailing, based here in Croatia. Um, the best way at the moment is to probably contact us through Facebook, uh, which we're on Facebook, is 45 Degrees Sailing. Uh, and also our YouTube channel is um, is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash 45 Degrees Sailing. Uh, that's where a lot of our content goes up. Um, and all of uh, we've done about three or four vlogs from this adventure um the travel to france and then from from france down and around um down to messina i think i've i've covered not even not even a third of it with the vlogs yet but they're going to keep coming so that's the best way to get hold of us at the moment and um look forward to hearing from people thanks nick thanks aaron really appreciate it thanks a lot france it's been great chatting about it and i look forward to our next one all right thanks france thanks aaron Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.